It's time for the Joe Moglia Report with former Coastal Carolina head football coach and chairman of TD Ameritrade. With daily and weekly insights on football, leadership, and financial advice from one of the top business leaders in the world today. Now, direct from Coastal Carolina University, let's join Joe Moglia and the Sports King for the Joe Moglia Report. And thank you very much for joining us for a very special edition of the Joe Mowgli Report. We mentioned during last week, all throughout last week, that our dear friend, the one and only Joe Mowgli, was being honored this past weekend with not just any honor, but Fordham University on October 7th, formally named its football and soccer stadium at the Rose Hill campus in honor of our very own Joe Mowgli. Joe was a 1967 alumnus of Fordham Prep and a member of Fordham College at Rose Hills class of 1971. Joe becomes the only the fourth alumnus to be so honored with the Fordham Founders Award as well as induction into the Fordham Hall of Honor and its Athletic Hall of Fame. Joe is also a member of Fordham Prep's Hall of Honor and Football Hall of Fame and received an honorary doctorate from the university in 2009. And uh, with that, we're going to welcome in the one and only Coach Joe Moglia. Joe, before we get into the show today, it's going to be different than we've had before. I just have to go back to last night and what happened. Coastal on the road against Appalachia State, a tremendous win and a win they had to have. Can you talk about it and uh, your emotions after watching this huge win? Jimmy, I don't know. I I didn't watch the game. How did we do? I'm kidding. We won, Coach. We won, Coach. (laughs) No, of course. Of course. Now, this is one of the very few games I wasn't at personally because I had to be in New York City, but but I I certainly watched the game. And uh, uh, I'm not not pleased with – our record was two or three going into the game. You know, I I haven't been pleased with uh, a couple of our performances. And I recognize – and, again, I love our staff. I hired them. I had the head coach, and I love our staff. I, I love them. I love the stuff we're doing. Uh, Grayson's a premier athlete for us at Coastal and, and, and quarterback, and he's done a great job over the last three years. A big part of our success is due to his ability. And uh, as far as so, – so we haven't been playing that way, though. And uh, we're two and three. I think we could have been much better than that. And we really did, just for morale purposes, the coaches, I talked to the players, we needed to win. And App is always tough. I don't care what the record is. And they almost beat North Carolina. I think they lost them in overtime. They're one of the better teams in the country. And they they uh, they got they got a great tradition. They got a great program. You know they're always tough. And we're playing them at their place. We've never beaten them at their place. And they we were underdogs. We need, had to get that win, and we got it. So uh, I couldn't be happier or proud of our guys. I've already communicated with with you know, probably eight or nine of the players and every one of the coaches on the staff and, and simply said, guys, we really needed this one great job last night. Congratulations. I didn't need to say much else. That's awesome. And a huge win for the Shants, and we were so excited about that. And we're also excited about reflecting on last weekend. What a historic uh, day it was for you. Uh, so many awards throughout your illustrious career. We're going to go into that, and we're going to go in a different direction today on the show. I have some personal questions to ask you about your life and career. And after the major happenings that occurred last weekend, we feel it's a perfect time to go back and take a look. Uh, I want to take you back in time. A son of immigrants who grew up in the Dykeman Street area of northern end of Manhattan. You go from Joe from the neighborhood growing up on the streets of New York to having multiple stadiums being named after you. 
uh, among some other of the large-scale national awards you received in athletics and in business. Can the Joe Mowgli of today take me back to the younger version of yourself, and could you have ever envisioned things like this past weekend happening to that young kid from the neighborhood? Wow, Jamie, that's probably the most uh, significantly touching question you've ever asked me in terms of uh, how I grew up. My dad was an Italian immigrant. He came here when he was 11, Uh, didn't speak English early on, but never finished eighth grade. Uh, He... Uh, he uh, ran a fruit store, he sold bananas and apples and brush his entire life. I worked for him from the time I was 10 to 22. I'm, he met my mom after the war, World War II, and she was Irish. And she was born and raised in Ireland. She came here to marry my dad. Uh, they Ultimately, they moved to Dykeman Street. I was the oldest of five. Seven of us lived in the two-bedroom, bathroom, one-bathroom apartment. Dykeman Street was Definitely, clearly, the Inwood section of Manhattan, northern Manhattan, uh, connected with Washington Heights, kind of like, you know, brother communities, like 40 blocks all together. And um, uh, two of my very best friends in grammar school that, that I was with every day got killed in high school. Number one, they had dropped out of high school. Number two, uh, one of them died of a drug overdose. The other one was killed by the police robbing a liquor store. If I wasn't playing football at Fordham Prep, I would have been with a guy robbing a liquor store. And my goal was to play football and baseball in college. And uh, then my girlfriend gets pregnant, and I've got to give up athletics, and but i got to go to school. My dad, who I work in the food store, said, don't go to college. Don't go to college. You're wasting your time. Just come work in the food store. And one day we have two food stores, three food stores. And I said, Dad, I think I really got to go to college. And he said, son, you're making a real mistake here. And he meant that lovingly. But he also wanted me to work in the food store. And uh, that's how I was on my own. I had to pay my tuition. You know, I was responsible for my daughter and my wife and 100% of my tuition. So that was my freshman year when I, I, I drove a yellow cab in New York City, a truck for the United States Post Office, and worked in my father's food store. Tough, tough, tough freshman year in college. Um, but that was the first year of my life I didn't have sports. So Fordham Prep, where I went to on the same campus as Fordham University, uh, where I had a good career, you know, they offered me a coaching job. So my sophomore, junior, senior year in college, I majored in economics. Thought I wanted to go to Wall Street, coach high school football at the prep, and work for my father in the off season. Uh, I loved the coaching so much that I decided if I could get a head high school job, I'd pursue a career in coaching. If not, I was going to try try to get a job on Wall Street. Well, I probably applied a hundred different places. I had two job offers. One is an assistant coach at Florida Prep, where I loved. And uh, the other was the head coach at Archmere. I wanted to be the head coach. And Archmere Academy at the time was an all-boys Catholic school in Claymont, Delaware. And at 22, I became the youngest head high school coach in history state of Delaware. And by the way, as a segue, our president, Joe Biden, went to Archmere and so did all of his children. So uh, that's a little bit long-winded, Jamie, and I apologize for that. But, yeah, there's probably a decade and a half (laughs) along that line. Well, I'll tell you what, that perfectly leads and transitions into our next question is, can you speak to those mom and dads out there listening uh, today? And of course, to the youngsters, both male and female that are trying to overcome and find a way when it looks like in so many ways, there aren't ways ahead. The reason I have added the parents into this is many people don't realize that you were not only married, but you were a husband, a father and completely responsible for your own education. 
Many people make excuses and many people can't get beyond themselves and say, how do I do it? And then go do it. But you somehow found a way when there appeared to be none. Many people don't realize that you drove a truck, a taxi cab. You worked at your father's fruit store. You're now a motivational speaker, a business leader, an award-winning former championship football coach. For those who see those obstacles and maybe give up or forgo their dreams or thinking about giving up on anything they have in the future in terms of aspirations, what can you tell them about overcoming and finding a way to achieve their goals and dreams when it looks helpless and hopeless? You know, I, th- I think, Jamie, uh, we've spoken many times about when I got that Oshman job, when I was 22 years old, I had never been more than 20 miles outside of New York City, and this was in Delaware. I, I thought Delaware was the deep south. I didn't get it. I didn't understand. I, I didn't have that. I had a lot of street savvy, but I didn't have that type of sophistication. I didn't know what was going on in the world. I knew what was going on in my neighborhood, my school, et cetera. So um, uh, when I took that job, I said, this has to be much more than football to drive me to go to what I thought was the deep south at the time. And that became my band philosophy, which was a real man, be a man, but a real man, a real woman, a real leader stands on their own two feet, takes responsibility for themselves, treats others with dignity and respect, and lives with the consequences of their actions. I wrote that when I was a senior at Fordham. I really, really, really believe in that. So when I went to Coastal, one of the things we did that no one in the nation did, we had zero rules. I mean, zero. We had one stand, ban. Take responsibility for yourself. Now, with that comes one there, – there are a lot of things that come with that. One is no excuses. So I'm going to give you a simple example of that for me. I began coaching when I was 19 years old. What a lot of people really don't know is that I had a very severe, serious – struggling out. I had a very severe stutter. So in grammar school, high school, and college, I would not raise my hand if I knew the answer to something because I was afraid I couldn't get my words out. Then I decide, again, remember, my freshman year, I'm working all the time, athletics are gone in my life, and now I have a chance to coach. Now, do I want that job? problem with that job is you've got to be able to communicate. I can't talk. I can't talk. So the decision I had to make, and I wasn't thinking about BAM at the time, but this is a great BAM example, was either I, I, I go ahead and coach and work on the fact that I can't communicate because I, I can't speak, I, can't, I stutter, or I give it up. And they use stuttering as an excuse. So stutter, excuses allow you kind of let you off the hook subconsciously. Stuttering. Easily would allow me let me off the hook, but if I couldn't do that, I couldn't do anything where I had to communicate. So I take the job, and I know I got I got to teach, I got to speak, I got to coach, I got to do all those things. And I spent hours and hours and hours in front of a mirror, working on my words, how I, how I would jump to jump to a different word, all those things. And uh, so, if you have an understanding of how I grew up. You go, okay, well, you know what? We had a lot of obstacles. This is one most people are not necessarily aware of. And uh, so it doesn't matter really if you're a parent. It doesn't matter if, if you're somebody else paying attention to this. The whole key to BAM is you don't make excuses. So I could have very easily said, you know what? I can't do that because I can't speak. 
But I didn't do that because I wanted a coach. So I had to overcome stuttering. Now, by the way, to this day, I've been a reasonably accomplished guy in the football world and world of business. I still get incredibly nervous when I'm getting up to speak in front of a group or I'm going on television or I'm giving a commencement address because I'm afraid I'm not going to get my words out. But I've done a good enough job over all these decades handling that, that I'm always prepared and I get on and I take a deep breath and I go forward and I'm okay. Uh, but so my how I grew up, the situation I grew up in, and the fact that I stuttered, they would have all been excuses for me wind up working in my father's food store. And all I had to say all I had to say at the time was, you know, yes, man, can I help you? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, you not only have overcome that, uh, you thrived and uh made something that wasn't a strength a strength and you had to decide and the BAM uh theory and mentality always has guided you and has been something you've leaned on and has done a great uh, thing for you and all the young men that you've coached. I've talked to a bunch of them, and they've always said, hey, that's been a cornerstone of your program and you, and that's something that has really carried you through so much, and uh, we appreciate that answer. I did want to ask you, I know you have your family and friends in attendance this past weekend and how close you are, and, uh, of course, the love for your mom and dad. I wanted to ask you a personal question regarding this past weekend. Did you – at the time, receiving the honor of multiple stadiums being named in your honor, did you have a moment then or since then, maybe sitting in a chair and just uh, with your thoughts, to think about what your mother and father reaction-wise may have been to that special day and what that uh, meant to maybe both of them, a kid from the neighborhood working in a fruit store and and now multiple stadiums named after him uh, with your mom and dad. How would they have appreciated that moment? You know what, Jamie? I appreciate the question. And uh, over the span of the last couple of decades, uh, having, you know, my, my parents have already passed, and uh, especially my father, who wanted me to work in a fruit store. I taught, he hated me in athletics because when I was playing football, baseball, I wasn't in his fruit store. And, uh, then when I told him I want to be a coach, he thought, remember, I majored in economics, so I wanted to go to Wall Street. That's what Dad thought I was going to do. <laughs> he thought I lost my mind. Uh, my mom, on the other hand, just kind of wanted me to do whatever I kind of really wanted to do. She was always 100% unconditionally loved, loved us, loved me, and, and was supportive. Um, I thought about that a lot over the span of the last couple of decades. When you're in an event like that, at that moment of time, really, you're running around and you there are so many people that show up because of you, and I want them to know they mean something to me, so you're not thinking about that. But I can't tell you, I bet you I had 10 people, family and non-family members, come up and say, can you imagine what your mom and dad feel like looking down on us now? And a couple of really good friends. Can you imagine what your best friend, John O'Leary, would be thinking, looking down on us now? Now, you have to have a belief in that. But that to have a real, real impact. But whether you have a belief or you don't, every time somebody said that to me, really, really moved me. And uh, so those are my thoughts on that, Jamie. Yeah, I just uh, thank you for that. I just wanted to know because, like I say, that's such a special time, and I know that uh, those folks uh, gave you so much inspiration growing up and then to see – 
their humble beginnings, and then uh, all these years later, you with uh, stadiums being named after you and doing the things you've done uh, to have a pause and reflect and have your family and friends uh, think the same thing. It was a special time, I'm sure, and uh, something very special for your entire family who support you. And I tell you what, it was just so great during the Hall of Fame to see them all wearing your shirts and to see them all gathered and supporting you in these great moments. It, it's something to see. So uh, thank you for letting us in on that. Uh, we got back to the stuttering aspect, and you overcame that, of course, became the CEO of TD Ameritrade before stepping down in 2008. Shareholders enjoyed a 500% return, and you were instrumental in the, of course, development and of the program and uh, getting the deal together for Charles Schwab. That was a monumental deal. The company was worth $100 billion with assets over $7 trillion. And, folks, I've said it before, I've never used a tr- the trillion word with a T in a sentence and known anybody that had ever done anything to that amount of money until I met Joe Moglia. You've been a father, grandfather, humanitarian, philanthropist, 10-time-plus Hall of Famer, world-class business leader, highly successful Division One head football coach, author, television, radio. You've done it all. And by your mission, going back to the stuttering, uh, now a sought-after speaker. Uh, the intestinal fortitude not only achieved that, but everything you did on the business side, on the football side, when people talk to you or maybe said, hey, that can't be done or there's a ceiling there, you were like, the hell with that. I'm, I, 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 there's no ceiling with me. And the thing that I think I admire more about you than anything is the fact that uh, people say maybe it can't be done. You, you don't even let that go into your mind for one second. It's like if it's in front of me, I'm going to conquer this. How, besides BAM, that intestinal fortitude and the drive you have of uh, proving it can be done when many think there's no way it can be done. And that's why they're talking about the movies and so forth uh, beyond this. But that intestinal fortitude, who do you attribute that to? Uh, I know your your dad and you were so close and mom as well, but uh, was it something that just over time you picked up? Because some point you had to say, I'm going to stand and deliver or fall by the wayside. And I'm just wondering to achieve what any one of these things, anybody would say, man, that's a great accomplishment. But with you, it just keeps going on and on and on. And there's nothing, I guess, you feel you can't do. And, and I just wonder where that comes from. Yeah, I think, I think first of all, Jamie, it wasn't going back to the principle of leadership. So, remember, BAM uh, means standing on two feet, take responsibility for yourself, treat others with big respect, live with the consequences of action. Part of that is there are no excuses. So going back to, am I going to coach football, but I can't speak because I stutter, I could have easily made a decision, conscious decision, like, you know what, that's going to be too hard, I can't do that, I'm going to fail there. So I'm going to do something else where I have to communicate. Maybe it could become a great, great, great research analyst on Wall Street. Maybe it could be a great, great, great developer in technology, uh, whatever it might be. Maybe I'd be the greatest food store owner in the history of mankind and have, like, Today have 10,000 supermarkets. So I could have gone in a different direction, but I wanted to do what I believed I was good at, would have loved, and thus my, my impediment is stuttering, so I have to overcome that. In terms of what kind of drove me, remember, in my, my mind and my heart, there's no, no excuses. There are two things I think for everybody they got to understand. One is if you want to do something, you really, really, really got to know what, what the skill sets are to be successful in that field and whether or not you have those, have those skill sets. If you don't, do not go into that field, period. If you do, 
have those skill sets, then you got to ask yourself one more question, and that is, would you be really passionate about what you do? The answer to that is yes. That's probably the right right field for you. So I, I think on, on my end, that's very, very much the way I thought. Now, you know, who influenced me the most? You know, I, there are a lot of people I can kind of talk about, but you know what? There was never really somebody that was my mentor. There were a lot of people that I knew, that I respected, that gave me good advice. But at the end of the day, uh, I think... And I know it sounds cliche-like, but my father worked 70-something hours a week, six days a week at a fruit store, always took off on Sunday, and never finished eighth grade. And Dad loved us and worked his ass off, and his priority was to support us. But with Dad, it was about Dad. So he wanted me not to play sports. He would have been very happy if I never swung a bat, never made a tackle in my lifetime, and just worked in a food store. It was usually about Dad. And when there was a problem, an issue with somebody else's fault, Dad wasn't a bad guy. He was a good man that worked his ass off, that wanted to do really well in a food food store business and support his family. I, I get that work ethic and I think commitment to excellence from him. My mom, on the other hand, just unconditionally loved us, always had a smile, always was behind us. I think I get my personality and my sense of humor, even though it may not always come across on the show, uh, uh, from my mom. So the two people in my life that had the greatest impact on me are my mom and dad. We appreciate that. And like I say, it's uh, it's just great to get these insights. Folks, you're listening to the Joe Mowgli Report. We're taking a trip down memory lane after this past weekend. And, of course, the greatness of Joe Mowgli on display is two stadiums named in his honor. What a prestigious honor there at Fordham. And uh, we wanted to ask one last question on the personal side. Uh, of course, being a successful author and a movie in the works on your life, uh, you've always been called that high-impact individual. As you look back on your incomparable career in business and sports, what do you want people to take away from you the most? What are the most important aspects of your legacy that you want people to know and take away from the story of that boy that grew up on the streets of New York but worked tirelessly and rose to the greatest heights imaginable? When they would watch something about you, yes, we know the business side, yes, we know the sports side, but there's much more. If somebody was to say, after watching your story, What's the thing about your life and about what you've accomplished and everything that you'd want, whether it be an older person, a younger person, just to take away and say that Joe Mogli Joe is blank. What would that be for you legacy-wise? Yeah, I think it would be, you know, to what extent has he had an impact on others? I really believe that's, that's been who I am. That's one of, one of my tombstones. The guy had the impact on others. But the reason for that was banned. So I wrote that down, Jamie, when I was 21 years old and a senior for him. Uh, that has held true. And then my single most competitive event I've had in my entire life since then, that's five decades, whether personal or professional, I'm sorry, prof- and professional, either business or football or coaching. So it's, it's recognizing the principles behind and the substance behind a real man, a real woman, a real leader stands on their own two feet, takes responsibility for themselves, uh, uh, treats others with dignity and respect, lives with the consequences of their actions, uh, knows who they are, so they make the best right decisions under pressure, have the guts to do what they believe is right, and recognize that, you know, they're 
Love is the commitment to well-being of others. And as a leader, it's not about you, it's about others. So if it, that is the differentiator of my life. If somebody had to take away one thing on me, that would be it. All right. And we appreciate that insight as uh, the impact you've had on people you don't even know. It's been amazing. And uh, when I was at the Hall of Fame, just talking around the room to different people and hearing how you affected them in ways big and small, it was just remarkable to hear. And I appreciate that so much, getting to talk to all those folks that uh, have come from so far away uh, just to see you and hear and watch your presentation of the Hall of Fame. That was just an amazing night. Uh, it is now time, folks. We know what time it is now. It's time for listener questions. Clifford from Trenton, New Jersey, is up first. He says, Joe, what are your thoughts on the attack on Israel? You've mentioned war and conflicts as things you're very concerned about. This seems like it could escalate, even get worse. What do you think, Joe? Tragedy in the Middle East. This is absolutely horrific on every level. Your thoughts on this and what's happening there? The, uh, I mean, Clifford, I appreciate, appreciate you reaching out on this one. Uh, I, I've got a couple of answers. And the, one is very, very simple. It breaks my heart that this happens. There are going to be so much, there's going to be so much collateral damage on this one. There's going to be so many people that have nothing to do with kind of what's going on. They're going to lose their lives, which I think is almost, I don't think there's anything you can do to control that or to, uh, to work around that if you're going to get the job done with regard to the terrorists. Okay, that's a simple answer. Second, uh, the, the real answer is, number one, it's a shock. Having said that, there's nothing the terrorists do that would be a shock to me. So remember, they think most people on the planet are evil. They're infidels. And uh, they and, and the, the radical approach to the, the radical terrorist approach to this is if we kill infidels and we get killed in the process, you know, we and our entire families are going to be rewarding the asset by Allah. Now, that's pretty, pretty powerful, pretty powerful motivation. So we know we live in the greatest country in the world, but there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people on a planet that have unlimited funding that will not hesitate to give up their lives, take our lives away because they believe we're evil. And again, they're going to be rewarded in the afterlife. Uh, here's my real, taking that into consideration, here's my real concern. I've said this before. Uh, the last several years, I've never found our country more divided than we are today, and I've never found the geopolitical tension in the world as significant as it is today. It was only the last three years or so, first time in my life, where I thought I could see how a World War III would happen. So if I want to come after us, and I would assume the terrorists are combined with Russia. Russia wants to coordinate with China. Now, China doesn't want to piss us off for economic reasons. But from a lot of other reasons, they would work quietly, they would work quietly behind the scenes with, with Russia, and they're not going to help us. Then you got North Korea. And, 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 and I think if I'm they, we are still as divided as we've ever been. We just fired the Speaker of the House, for Christ's sake, because he had an opinion, and we don't like the opinion. We don't know what our leadership's going to be. I, those are the things that keep me up at night. Those are the things that I'm really, really concerned with. So Israel and what's going on there is something we really have to pay attention to. We have to help them. But while we're helping them, that's just another distraction to a divided country that doesn't have real leadership for people that want to get rid of us. And I get more and more and more afraid of kind of the possibility of World War Three. 
Well, we all hope and pray that does not occur. But you have been reminding us the geopolitical threats out there have kept you up at night, and uh, you've been worried. And uh, sadly, this has come to pass, and we certainly hope somebody intervenes and it can be quelled, but it looks very dire at this point. We'll keep our eye on this and continue uh, as a topic on the Joe Mowgli Report. Uh, On a lighter note, Dan from Sacramento, California, on the sports side is asking, Joe, my 49ers beat up the Cowboys, and we have a quarterback in Brock Purdy who's playing great, Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick of the draft. Do you think we'll win it all this year, he's asking, Joe? You know what? I really, really believe that – I really believe, Dan, that that you guys have a real shot of winning this one. Now, when I say winning this one – Again, we all know uh, it could be bad weather day. Quarterback could slip. There's all sorts of things that can happen on one particular game. So, like in baseball, you know, you have a series. But football, it's one game. That's it. And sometimes the best team may lose a game. Uh, but I do think I do think that San Francisco has, has a shot at this. I think they're definitely getting to the playoffs. They're definitely going to make a deep run in the playoffs. Whether whether or not they win the Super Bowl, really, I don't know. Yes, I can't say I don't know, but they got a good shot at it. Now, I'm going to share something else. Now, it's only been the last couple of years with my family. I'm in our family football fantasy league, and my defense and my kicker are both San Francisco. So I'm rooting for San Francisco. <laughs> For selfish reasons, he wants the Niners to win. So we'll follow that. And good luck, Dan, from Sacramento. Karen from Dover, Delaware, is asking, do you see 2024 as a much better opportunity for investors? With an election and our inflation now, it looks like we need major changes in leadership soon to help the markets. How do you see it? Uh, You know what, Karen, it's a tough question in the sense that I had thought all along we're going to go through a tough time with regard to recession, the Fed's raising rates, all that stuff. But I think going to 2024, you know, I want to be long. I want, I want to go after it, et cetera. My only question, Mark, has been geopolitical tension. Now, this Israel, what's going on in Israel now just enhances that. So if the Israel thing gets wrapped up before the end of 2023, I'd really go after 2024. I think Marx do well. That's what I'll do. But it's possible also that the Israeli thing lasts for another year. The longer it lasts, the less good that's going to, going to be for the markets and the economy. So uh, I've, said, I've said this in the past. I think, you know, my advice to investors is have a barbell. Barbell, you have 50% of your assets on one side in equities and 50% of your assets on the other side in, in uh, short uh, treasuries. If you invest in the one month to twelve month area on the curve, uh, sorry, in the, get term curve, the, uh, in the treasury market with no risk, no no risk, zero risk, you're going to get over five percent return. So if the markets do really well, your equity portfolio does great, and you get a five percent return on the conservative side. The markets blow up. First of all, you only have 50% of your money invested in that, so you're not going to lose as much as you would, but you still get a solid 5.5% on the other side. So that's the way I would approach that. And the better I feel about what's happening with Israel and everything's going to calm down, that's when I would start to take, instead of 50-50, I'd go maybe 40% in cash and 60% equities. I'd approach it that I, I would have, I, I would, I would approach it that way, Karen. 
Well, I'll tell you what, as you say, after any major conflict, it always seems like the markets come out of it. And I know that uh, we'll follow this trend, too. And uh, certainly uh, we will follow and see how the markets affect uh, during this. And as Joe said, it could last, uh, some people say, quite a while. We certainly hope that's not the case. But the Middle East, very unpredictable, to say the very least. Uh, Renee from Richmond, Virginia, is up next, and she's asking, Joe, you received many, many honors. A stadium being named after you is such a tremendous honor. She wants to know what has been your favorite overall award or honor that you've been given thus far. You know, Renee, I think the uh, on the more significant ones, I've always been overwhelmed by the fact that I was fortunate enough to be able to be there and to receive that. But if you say and you said to me a year ago, so what's your favorite one? It'd be hard. What's your one that impacts you the most? It'd be hard for me to pick one. But not now. I think uh, I love Fordham. I, love, I went to Fordham Prep there. I went to Fordham U- University. I was on a campus for eight years. Uh, as a player, the, the high school, Fordham Prep, and the college had the same field, so I played on that field for four years. Then when I began coaching college, I coached on that field for three years. Uh, I love, you know, the university and my eight years on that campus. Without question, for me and my family to have our name recognized for the next century is at our Fordham University's campus is the greatest honor I've ever received in my life. So that actually becomes a very difficult question to answer a year ago, an easy one to answer now. But I appreciate appreciate the question, Renee. And Renee, I'm hoping that when I go to Fordham, I get to go up in the sky suite and throw my weight around a little bit and say, yeah, I know the guy, and I deserve a little extra something up here. I don't know what uh, they're serving up there, but hopefully something comes with that, Joe. I, I've got to check into that, by the way. I have so. no doubt you'll get a bourbon on the rocks with that one. <laughs> okay. All right, I'll take it. Last up, Tom from Myrtle Beach is saying uh, today that he said, hey, this stadium in your name is such a great award and honor. Congratulations. He's asking, are you playing golf now? Are you uh, getting out on the course at all? And have you ever had a hole-in-one? Tom, first of all, the fact you're coming from Myrtle Beach, if you bump into me at any point in time, please come up and say hello and remind me of this question, and I would like you to do that. Um when I was, I was if, for those golfers, you'll know what I mean when I say this. I was a good 13. I could win money at a 13. That's a handicap. And, but then when I went back to coaching in 2009, I could not do both and do them both well. So my priority, and again, bam, my responsibility is my coaching, so I focused on that. So in the last 13 years, I played golf minimally. I played 18 holes maybe three or four times. And totally gotten away from the game. So right now, uh, I'm trying to get my game back. It's hard for me to break 50, but I'm working on it. And I want to get back to play because I love playing with my family, the guys in my family, and my buddies. I don't want to play for business reasons, but I love playing with them. Uh, I love playing with people I care about. Uh, so I'm trying. I'm working on that. A hole in one. They go back to me being the CEO of Ameritrade. I have also Omaha Country Club, where they had the Men's Senior U.S. Open, by the way. And they shut because of the open. They shut down the course for twelve months, so nobody could play in the course for twelve months. And opening day was June. I forget the year now, and um, so everybody was there. Everybody's there. Like uh, everybody wanted to play. Uh, there was a big tournament going on, 
you know, the people ahead of you got to wait, people behind you wait. I mean, huge event. And normally you'd complain about how crowded it was, but that was the first time any of us were able to play uh, since the 12 months that the, the course had opened. On the fifth hole at Omaha Country Club, I hit a 163-yard seven iron that went in with everybody watching. Really, really, really cool. To this day, I don't know it off the top of my head, but to this day, that hole-in-one on that particular day is celebrated. you got to be kidding me. I'm telling you, I've had an eagle from a long way away, but never a hole-in-one. My father-in-law played 46 years. He was a club champion in Pennsylvania. Had uh, his first after 46 years of playing. It's very rare. Look at you. Is there anything you can't do? Wow, hole-in-one. 163 yards. I bet you uh, had quite a few celebration drinks that day. <laughs> you know, I assume that, that we all take care of For those of you that belong to private clubs, and I'm not trying to be uppity on that, usually they charge you like hole-in-one insurance because you know, the tradition is if you, hit a hole, if, you, 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 if you shoot a hole-in-one, if you, you make a hole-in-one shot, you know, you got to buy drinks for everybody. So I think that, that Omaha Country was $100 a year. Everybody just pays that blindly. That covered me that day. Yes, it did. And, uh, boy, you, you never forget that. That was incredible. Thanks for sharing that. And, Tom, thanks for the question. It is now time for our favorite part of this special edition of the Joe Mowgli Report, where Joe gives us his best advice of the week. And I want to thank all of you uh, for allowing us to change things up on today's Joe Mowgli Show for the special edition and trip down memory lane with you. Joe, uh, what do you have for us this week? Well, Jamie, you know, I think I can't. I'm so, I was so overwhelmed with the stadium dedication on, on Saturday, I, I can't get too far away from that. So I think go back to my beginnings, which we've talked about today, and you know how I grew up, and uh, <laughs> and I, I could just as easily take a, a path where I would be a criminal, where I could very well be in jail today. And uh, but I did what I did, and I am so very very proud of what I did. Then when it gets recognized, that's like overwhelming to me. So for Fordham University, where I spent eight years on the campus, I spent four years on that field playing, same field, spent another three years coaching. For me to have our family's name being on for the next century, that is overwhelming. Now, I know we've talked about that. So the point I want to make now is you work as hard as you can. Don't make excuses. Get done what you need to get done. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether they get recognized or not. All you have to do is look in the mirror and say, did I give my best shot? If the answer to that is yes, you feel very, very good about who you are and what you're doing. If the answer to that is no, then you got to recognize, you know what, i got to step it up a bit. Again, no excuses. you got to step it up. Well, I'll tell you what, thank you for that. Thank you for this trip down memory lane, folks. Uh, two stadiums named after you and all the accolades you've received. Such an honor well received, and uh, we are so proud of you and what you've done and what you've accomplished. And uh, congratulations again on an amazing weekend for you and your family, one you'll never forget. I appreciate it, Jamie. Thank you very, very much for all of you that were listening to our broadcast today and pay attention to King Sports Radio. Uh, I am grateful. 
And, folks, we can't thank them enough. Uh, that's going to wrap up another edition of the Joe Mowgli Report. To learn more about all the happenings in the life of Joe Mowgli, simply head over to an amazing website. You can't get enough of it. Once you go there, you'll see why. It's Moglia.com. That's M-O-G-L-I-A.com. You'll see photos, interviews, upcoming appearance, and so much more. And, folks, when that movie breaks, we're going to know. And we'll hear about it right here, and we'll let you know about where to see it. Uh, we cannot wait for that to happen. Uh, for Hall of Fame head coach Joe Mowgli and producers Robert Oley and A.J. Resch, I'm the Sports King, Jamie King, reminding you to keep it tuned right here, ESPN 1061, for every single edition of the Joe Mowgli Report. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after these messages. 